0: I think it would be fitting if uh, we say a word of prayer before this uh, short exhortation from the book of Ruth. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask, O Lord, that you would strengthen your servant now that words of truth and purity would come from, from my lips and that you would incline our hearts and ears to your word, O Lord. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. One commentator summarizes the book of Ruth as, and I quote, a Hebrew short story told with consummate skill. Among historical narratives in scripture, it is unexcelled in its compactness, vividness, warmth, beauty, and dramatic effectiveness. An exquisitely wrought jewel of Hebrew narrative art. End quote. The book of Ruth continues to be a favorite redemptive historical story of the church and many individual Christians, a story of love and loyalty, a story of being far off and of famine and being near and of fullness. It is especially beautiful work when one considers in the light of New Testament theology that in Christ Jesus, the archetypal kinsman redeemer, We who once were far off have been brought near. The book of Ruth is a most wonderful Old Testament precipitation of the gospel. In the lives and actions of the characters, we find image the story of redemption and fullness. In its historical context, the story takes place during the period of judges, a very turbulent and uncertain time appeared in Israel's history filled with apostasy and injustice, a time when, in the concluding words of judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In the wider geopolitical context, we should know that Moab, modern-day Jordan, is located directly east and opposite of the Dead Sea, which is, as you know, is east of the kingdom of Judah. They were the sworn sworn and despised enemy of the Jews. This is a very rich story with many ways of reading it. In fact, we will certainly not do it justice or could possibly plumb its depths and mine its riches in this short exhortation. Arguably, the backbone of the understanding of the weightiness of the story is the cultural context of a deeply patriarchal society. It cannot be overstated that without a husband or sons, a woman of antiquity was worthless. In fact, less than worthless. She might as well be dead. With a few exceptions, women of the time derived their identity and worth from the men in their lives. In the most acute way, unprotected widows are voiceless voids without rights, hopes and prospects often neglected and prone for abuse. As one scholar puts it, rights and protection women in the West naturally assume are completely absent for Naomi and her daughter-in-law. Anyone can abuse them with impunity, since there is no male to defend them against an assailant. Their future is frightening, promising only poverty, vulnerability, and misery. End quote. We know as much from the story when Boaz says in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. I have not charged the young men not to touch you, he asked the question. So I make a particular point of this, because Naomi's condition of good as dead, especially helpful in tracing the absolute direness of our own predicament before God, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is this heavenly reality which is the gravitational center of the story of Naomi and Ruth. All hopes of safety, security, and relative comfort, in fact, were non-existent for Naomi. We are told that in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man named Elimelech whose name means, my God is king, leaves the house of bread, for that is what Bethlehem means, took for greener pastures outside of the promised land on account of the famine. I hope you appreciate the irony of this beginning. He takes with him his wife, Naomi, and his two sons. Sometime later, Elimelech dies. Then both of his sons take Moab wives, a decade later, both sons die. By this time, we are told that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. So with the span of eight verses, Naomi, who left full, though on an empty stomach, returns home completely emptied out. So this, is a, this sets the stage for the rest of the story. I trust that you're very well familiar with how the story unfolds. What I would like to do is to look at the thematic nature of the book in light of its canonical placement in both the Christian and Hebrew Bibles. On one hand, the church's heavenly wisdom prevailing, the Old Testament books are organized based upon the Greek translation of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint. Ruth is after Judges and before 1 Samuel. On the other hand, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth enjoys somewhat of a fluid location, and according to the Masoretic texts, the book is placed between Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. Both placements present equally rich and fruitful thematic considerations. First, we will consider the Hebraic placement. You may have noticed that the first lesson reading was taken from Proverbs thirty-one, ten through thirty-one. In this crowning passage of Proverbs, we have the idea of the worthy woman, or in Hebrew, the ashet hayil. The writer's question is, "An excellent wife, who can find?" A subsequent description of such a worthy woman is juxtaposed in the book of Ruth, in whom we find embodiment of such excellence. This can be observed in Ruth, chapter three, verse eleven, when Boaz calls her shef Chayil. This expression occurs one more time in the Old Testament, in Proverbs twelve twenty four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Proverbs continues that on account of his excellent wife, the husband is known in the gates. Boaz in chapter three eleven continues to praise Ruth that all the gates of the people will praise her, which exactly what takes place in chapter 4, verse 11, where it says, Then all the people who were at the gates and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel more broadly, Ruth is the embodiment of the worthy woman of Proverbs. Ruth practices kindness spoken of Proverbs 31:26. There is kindness or hesed on display. Ruth clings to her mother-in-law beyond all hope of joy and fullness when she makes a glorious profession of faith where she says For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. The ultimate culmination of kindness is when Ruth provides a son to Naomi by kinsman redeemer Boaz. We should not overlook that God's kindness is on the most extravagant display by presenting the law in the principles of Chesed. The book of Ruth teaches us, as it taught Naomi, that God's abounding and great love is unmerited and enduring. It is costly love, secured for the believer by the blood of the incarnate Son of God. For he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, now, the book ends with redemption, marriage, and conception. And in the Hebrew Bible, it immediately leads into the Song of Songs, which some theologians have observed as a message of what a rock solid marital commitment should be. To the Greek mind in the Septuagint, we see the chronological placement of the book to focus on tracing the lineage of the Messianic kingship. The placement of the book serves as the linchpin between the years of the judges and the reigns of kings. Though not a king, Boaz has a a prominent pedigree. His grandfather, Nashon, was the commanding general of Judah and third in line after Moses and Aaron. Aaron. Of course, we know from the story that he is the great grandfather of King David, and by extension of Jesus, the King of Kings. Without regal title, he is every bit what we would expect a king to be wise, discerning, righteous, humble, just, and kind unto mercy. While in those days there were no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes we find boaz doing what is right in the eyes of god in boaz we encounter a man who goes above and beyond the requirements of the law he practices hased there's consideration on part of boaz excuse me there's con- uh, <clears throat> condescension on the part of boaz reminiscent of christ boaz pulls all the strings he exercises the levers of power Yet we find him bridging Ruth's socio-economical gap. He stoops to meet her in the lowliness, in her lowly state. There are illusions in the story that Boaz is enlarging the corners of his field. He he explicitly commands his young men not to touch her. He provides her with bread and wine. In chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we're told that when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also put some of the bundles off her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. In all, she collected about what we would consider 29 pounds of barley, that is way more than meager gleanings. It was a harvest bonanza. The text would seem to indicate that this pattern continued throughout the rest of the harvest season. At the threshing floor, Boaz blesses her, and Naomi with, with, blesses her. Naomi with six measures of barley. We're told that Boaz was aware of the chesed Ruth had shown to her mother-in-law. The nature of Hesed is to beget more Hesed. So we see that Boaz's true royal conduct, of going beyond the requirements of the law and him taking on the role of the kinsman redeemer, paves the way for the Davidic line of kingship. So we see two very different thematic arrangements of the book: one vivifying wisdom in the lives of Ruth and Boaz, and the other tracing. The pedigree of of Davidic kingship. By way of application, there are two mistakes we want to avoid. One, we do not want to flatten the story and reduce it to moral lessons by overly allegorizing it. Doing so would run the risk of denying the historicity of the lives and events portrayed in the book and ultimately undermine the historical Jesus. Secondly, we must remember that we cannot draw a direct, straight-line relationship to our own lives. Put another way, it would be a mistake to internalize the lessons of the book that if we just do good works, righteous deeds, and practice acts of chesed, then God will reward and turn His face towards us. This would be a form of works righteousness. Righteousness. As our standards teach, as with Ruth and Boaz, our good works, all of which are completely from and by the Holy Spirit, are done in obedience to God's commandments, are the fruits and evidence of true and living faith. By them we, like Ruth and Boaz, manifest our thankfulness, strengthen our assurance, edify our brethren, adorn the gospel Stop the mouths of adversaries and glorify God that in the end we may have eternal life. Speaking of eternal life, or we can say resurrection life, God's, providence are, or God's providences are inscrutable for a very happy ending like Ruth and Naomi. There are ten stories. So in other words, let me rephrase that. God's ways are unscrutable. Though there's a happy ending for Ruth and Naomi, there are 10 stories of gloom, obscurity, and sad endings. Christian, take heart in knowing that God the Father has shown his unmatched has said in Jesus, the first fruits of resurrection life, and therefore look forward to that great day when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that shall, death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You have been made a new creation in Christ. Do what you are, redeemed and holy. Practice said, and hasten the day of Christ. Amen.